When you get married, I've learned that you marry into a family. I mean, good. I mean, this is, what I, this is a good thing. Like, you, you have in-laws. Like, this is a good thing. And so I married my beautiful bride over 17 and a half years ago, 2003, May 17th. That's good. I remember that, right? That's good. May 17th, 2003, I married that woman right there, and I married into her family, uh, which is an amazing family, by the way. But her maiden name, this family that I married into, is McPherson, sometimes Macpherson. Is that right? Macpherson? So it's a Scottish name. I've learned these things. Uh, several years ago, our family went to Scotland, and they learned some things about their family. And they found their family crest, and their family crest will be up here. That's it right there. So, so you see, that's how it's spelled in the original, Macpherson there. And it has an interesting statement there. So this is their family, their family crest. You see, there's a cat there. And I don't know if you can tell, but the cat's like this. Okay, and he's got his hand up. And it says, touch not the cat, bought, not but, bought a glove. Does that mean anything to you? It didn't mean either. I went to good old Wikipedia and I learned something as you often do when you go there. Touch not the cat, bought a glove. So bought in the original English language means without. And this is what good old Wikipedia said. He said, the glove of a wildcat is the pad. Okay, so the pad. If the cat is ungloved, its claws are unsheathed. Okay, so as right there in that picture, the claws are unsheathed. So the motto serves as a warning that one should beware of the wildcat's claws are without a glove. It's a reference to the historically violent nature of the clan and serves as a metaphorical warning to other clans that they should think twice about interfering with the McPherson business. I learned so much. This was so informative for me. So helping me understand lots of things in life. Moral of the story, don't mess with my wife. <laughs> and would someone please, before I go home, would you check her hands to make sure her claws aren't out? <sighs> a family crest for a state or a nation is often called a coat of arms. So it's that, it's that shield or that thing they would put on a flag that would say very much about their identity as a family or their identity as a, as a nation or a country or a state. So they, when they went into war, they would be carrying that so people would know this is who we are, the coat of arms. Does anybody know the animal that is on the coat of arms of Bulgaria? I didn't think so. And there's two lions facing each other. Does anybody know it's on the coat of arms of Greenland? Take a guess. It's a polar bear. The coat of arms of Scotland. Take a guess. Wrong. A harp. I don't know why. I didn't look that one up. There's just some homework for this week. But the coat of arms of Australia is very interesting to me. It has an emu and a kangaroo on it. And there it is. That's a different one. And so the forefathers, the founding fathers of Australia, 
they chose these specific animals for a purpose. Because their vision for this country is that they would only move forward and never go backward. So they chose an emu. Because an emu has three fingers, okay? And an emu, because it only has three, and the way that God shaped an emu can only move forward and it can't move back. If an emu takes a step back, it falls down. The same is true of a kangaroo. Kangaroo has that gigantic tail behind it. Because of that, have you ever seen a kangaroo go backward? It cannot. Neither an emu nor a kangaroo can go backward. Listen, here's why I go through that whole spurt right there. It's kind of fun. But a follower of Jesus only moves one direction. It's forward. It's one step at a time. Robert Tuttle said it this way, the Christian walk is much like riding a bicycle. We are either moving forward or falling off. And uh, let's bear witness, I've fallen off a lot in my Christian walk, and so have you. We, I guess we call that sin, and we're all sinners, right? So we do that. But when we are faithfully being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, we always are facing forward, moving forward in our walk with Christ. Here at Hope, we are a family. We're a family where you can come as you are. I hope that you know that by now. You've come, many of you here are first time with us. I hope you know that this is a family and you don't have to clean yourself up. As a matter of fact, you shouldn't clean yourself up. You should come as you are because that's how God sees you anyway. But our vision is that we would be a people that welcomes all people to come as they are, but we would move forward and not stay as we are. Because disciples move one direction, that is forward. And we know if we're married, we know this, that that we are always moving either toward those people we love or we're moving away. There's no such thing as stagnant relationships. You're either moving toward or you're moving away. And today as we turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, we're going to learn that today as followers of Jesus in, I hope, a fresh way as the Holy Spirit helps us understand the reading of God's holy word. Now, last week, we started a new series called All In. We used verse 1, just one simple verse there, Peter's introduction to his letter to the, the churches all around modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor. And we know that these were Peter's last days. So it's kind of his last letter to the churches. And he modeled for us a life and a heart that truly is that of every disciple should be, and that is all in. We learn that Peter was 100% servant, that he opened it saying that I'm a bondservant. He was a servant first, and then he said I'm apostle. So he's 100% faithful. We talked about this, that Peter understood the unique way that God had shaped him, his giftedness, and he was faithful to that. Did you know today, if you weren't here last week, that God has shaped you uniquely, purposefully, and specifically for a purpose in his kingdom? I love that. 
that we are all servants, that we are all shaped in certain ways, and we are invited and called to be faithful to that unique shape. And the third thing we learn from Peter is that we are 100% equal. Is Peter didn't put himself up here and everybody else down here. He said, this is all the same. We have equal standing of the precious gift of faith in God, Jesus Christ. 100% equal. We are all 100% fallen. And if you're in Christ, you are 100% redeemed. 100% redeemed. 100% forgiven. 100% righteous in Jesus Christ. 100%, as we'll learn today, equipped and ready to live the abundant life that God wants us to live. So let's read. We're going to read three verses today. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. We're going to read through verse 4 today. And he's still kind of in his intro, verse 2, and he gets in the content in verse 3. So grace and peace. What's grace? It's unmerited favor. It's the things that God gives us that we don't deserve. And it's a lot. God's grace. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. I want to stop there. In verse 1, it used the phrase God and Savior Jesus Christ, and those are not separable. So Jesus, we were reminded last week that Jesus is God, and this week, now we have a separation that there is one God revealed, revealed in, we have two, because verse 2 says, the knowledge of God and our Jesus of Jesus our Lord. So now we have God, God the Father, God the Son. We get to verse 21 of chapter 1. We're going to be reminded that there's a third person, and that third person is the, the Holy Spirit. Verse 3. His divine power has given us, what's the word? Everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. And through these, he has given us a very great and precious, very great and precious promises, not that through them, or so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. We're going to, talk, we're going to unpack this in a little bit. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. I want you to gather three things, and these, these things are so important. Before we move forward, as we understand that the, the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ is an all-in thing, there's no such thing as being a part-time follower of Jesus. It's all-in. As we think about that, we, we need to gather three things from these verses before we move forward. So after this, Peter's going to begin explaining to us how we move forward forward in our following of Jesus, in our understanding of who he is, in our understanding of who we are in him, and in that day-to-day -day practice of what it means to be a true all-in disciple of Jesus Christ. But the first thing I want us to gather, we see in verse 2, it's there in your notes, is that we are created to grow. In verse 2, it says, grace and peace be yours in, the NIV that I'm reading from says, abundance. 
The King James Version uses the word multiplied, and it's the Greek verb plethuno, and it means this. Listen, this is the literal meaning of that word, abundance or multiplied. It means to cause, it's important, to cause to be greater in number, to be multiplied, to grow, to increase. And so here, when Peter says, grace and peace be yours, just his, this is his intro statement, grace and peace. I want you to experience these things. I hope you experience these things. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. It's not only I hope that you experience these things. What Peter is really saying more literally is that you will, and I expect you to experience grace and peace in abundance multiplied infinitely through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. This is important, that as a follower of Jesus, when we are all in, that we are created to grow. And that's true physically, right? God creates us, and he fabricated in our DNA that when we are from a cell to millions of cells, and as a baby to growing as an adult, like we are made to grow, right? At some point, we're supposed to stop growing physically, right? At some point. But God has made us, and we keep growing. We grow physically. We grow mentally. We grow emotionally and spiritually. Do you know what? We are recreated to grow. Work with me. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has gone, and the new has come. Not only are we created to grow physically, we are made new in Christ for this purpose, to be like Christ and to grow more and more like him every moment of every day. Listen, that was Peter's expectation. Not only his hope is that this reality that we're going to get to, this reality of the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ will propel us there's no going back. We're not shaped to go back. It's propelling us to look more and more like Jesus. And sometimes as we pursue Jesus, we call it faith. We're faithing in Jesus. We're putting to practice that we trust Jesus and who he is. Sometimes it seems like we're not moving forward at all. And many times we feel like we're falling on our face. There's a great book called Failing Forward by a really smart guy, much smarter than me, named John Maxwell. He said this, to achieve dreams, you must embrace adversity and make failure a regular part of your life. If you're not failing, you're probably not really moving forward. And so if you are not seeing some amount of, that amount of, of, of failure in your life where you're putting your faith, and man, I'm, I didn't get there, I didn't get there, Listen, there is a reality of faith that we're going to stumble, but our Father will always be there to clean us up and lift us back up. So the first thing we have to know is that we were created, indeed, we were recreated to grow. It's fundamental and expected that as followers of Jesus, we will continue to move forward. And I would ask you today, are you more like Jesus than you, when you began pursuing him with all of who you are? Our dream is that very thing, 
that a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, that our measure of success as a church is that you would look more and more like Jesus. And 10 years from now, you won't look like you did today, me included, me included. You will progress. You will move forward. There will be a healthy movement of God as you trust him and you were growing in him. The second thing we find in verse 3 and 4 not only are we created for this, God gives us exactly what we need to do so. I reread verse 3. His divine power has given us, what's the word? Everything. We, what's the word? Need. There's the word. That's so important. God doesn't always give us everything we want, but he will always give us everything we need. Everything we need. For a godly life. He gives us everything we need. Did you know that you already have everything you need to have a godly life? You already have it. God has already made that available to you through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. I love that word glory there. Listen, we have everything we need because of God's glory and his goodness. The Greek word there is doxa, but we learn about the glory of God early on in the Old Testament, right? Moses is on his journey. He's a shepherd and shepherding, and he sees this bush that's burning but not burning, right? Remember that story? Yeah, before the exodus of the people of Israel, And a voice comes from the bush and says, Moses, you're standing on holy ground. Take your shoes off. You're not worthy, right? Well, that that he's seeing is the glory of God. Later on, Moses, after the people of Israel, Moses goes in. The people of Israel come out of Egypt, and they're out there in their journey to the promised land. Moses says, hey, God, can I see your glory? And God says, no, you can't handle it, but go over there in the cleft of the rock, and I'm going to pass by. And Moses just sees a glimpse, his back, just a glimpse of his Shekinah glory, and he was completely changed. When he saw the glory of God, he was completely changed. He was so bright that people could not even look at him. He had put a veil over his face because when he got a glimpse of the manifest Shekinah glory of God, it was unfathomable. It was uncontainable, this glory of God. And when we get to the New Testament, we realize that the glory of God was actually manifest physically in our midst. That's what it says in John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word, who is that? Jesus. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his, what's the word? Glory. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we know through the lens of the New Testament that the glory of God was manifest and revealed in person in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And God's glory on earth is just a fraction. What we saw is just a fraction of his uncontainable, unfathomable glory that we will see one day in heaven. Can you imagine It's coming. One day Jesus is coming back, or he's going to take us home before then. And we are going to behold with our own eyes the standard of holiness and separateness and and completely different of this world, holiness of God, his Shekinah glory. It's that uncontainable reality that we are called by, and we have everything we need, but also his goodness 
The word there for goodness is the same word for virtue, sometimes translated. It's the word arete. It means the uncommon character worthy of praise, excellence of character, exceptional civic virtue. And what it means is that God is with out understanding. He is excellent beyond excellent. My wife, she will, uh, a lot of times, she will um, remind me how much I use the word amazing. She'll see it and like, I'll use that word. And because I use it a lot, I guess. And you have your words too, so don't laugh at me. You got your words too that you use all the time. I just don't throw it in your face all the time, right? So we have these words, but you know, those words, no matter what it is, will never do God justice. Yeah, he's amazing, of course, but that falls so short. Yes, he's loving. It falls so short of who he is. Yes, he's huge. Yes, he's awesome. Yes, he's all of those things that we could put in there. But he's so much more than those things. But it goes on to say in verse 4 that we are called by his glory and goodness. And it says through these. What are those things? His glory and his goodness. Through these. I like that word. Through these he has given us his very great, doesn't, doesn't that very great, God's very great and precious promises. Don't those fall so short of what actually God, God's very great. I love that. He's very great. He's huge. He's so awesome. He's so amazing like that, like that. Ah. So through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, and I was reading that through them. What does them refer to? Does it refer to the promises of God? Or does it refer to his glory and his goodness? The answer to that, I believe, is yes. Because we, re- we experience his promises because we trust him. We see them. The reality of what God says, when he says it, it always happens because a promise is only as good as the one who makes the promise, right? When we experience and trust that God is who he says he is and he promises these things and then we see it, yes, that is true. We're reminded that he has so much glory. He's got so much glory, and he is so good. So that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. And that word is participate. Now, this doesn't mean that we are going to be God. No, that's not it. But we are going to have the word there. I love this. We use this word a lot. The word there is koinos, koinonia. We're going to have this fellowship with God. We're going to be known, and we are known by God in every single way. But we are going to know. That word koinonia is fellowship, sharing, communion. It's one who takes part in something with someone, a companion, a partner, a share. So we are going to know God so much more each day that we share in his identity. And we look more and more like him by trusting and experience his promises, his glory, and his goodness. And as I think about that, I'm going to get to the third thing, and it leads into this. I want us to be reminded right now that koinonia of the saints, the fellowship that we have, comes from, is enlivened, and is birthed out of our koinonia with God. Did you get that? Our fellowship, like biblical community, 
Church, biblical church community, that that we are supposed to have, can only come in a life-changing connection, fellowship, koinonia with God. That leads to the third thing. Second is God gives us exactly what we need to do so, to grow. He gives us, he gives us everything that we need. And what is that? Him. It's his character. It's the relationship with him. So the third thing is we do so. We grow. We do so by practicing the no. By practicing the no. And practicing is something that we have to do intentionally. We have to go, like if we're trying to get better at something, we go practice over and over again. We do so by practicing the no. Verse 2 and verse 3, both of them say, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge. His his divine power has given us everything we need for godly life through our knowledge. I heard a, a pastor who had... He had just been licensed to the ministry, and the funeral director called him because there was no pastor available, and there was a, a man that passed away and asked the, the young pastor to, to, uh, to do the funeral, but it wasn't going to be a funeral because the, the man had no family anywhere around, it happened to be in Iowa, in a very, very rural, small town, and so pastor the new pastor had decided he would do that, and so there was going to be a graveside. So he put together the service. He wrote it down. He was going to read it there, some scriptures, some nice things to say. And he began his journey early that day of the committal service, the graveside service. And on his way, he got lost. It was way out in the country. He got lost. He backtracked, and he finally got to the cemetery, old country cemetery. And he didn't see a single car. The hearse was gone. All the people were gone except for two workers that were sitting under a tree. And the pastor just took his Bible and took his notes, and he did the whole service right there. He saw, when he got there, he saw these people, and he saw the hole in the ground, and he just sat there, and no one else around. He just read the whole service. And on his way back to the car, the two workers looked at each other, and one of them, as he was about to take a bite, he said, I think we should have told him that that's a septic tank. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You ever been like the lid on the septic tank anyway? Work with me here. Work with me here, okay? Yeah, wow. All my jokes are that way. And this is why I say that. Listen, lean in. This is so important. Hmm. Many times... We do the right things in the wrong places as followers of Jesus. Many, many times we do this. I said last week that Satan is the great liar. If you're not a follower of Jesus, what Satan would want you to think is that Jesus is not real. The second lie is once you accept Jesus is that the enemy wants you to think that following Jesus is just an addition, a part-time thing in your life. Well, that's a lie from the enemy. That's not biblical, and that is not healthy. But the third lie is this, is that we can, we can do things, and out of that, we can, let me say it a different way. We, the enemy would give us a lie that we are to pursue the things 
and the ways of Jesus instead of pursuing the person of Jesus. I got it out. It was in my head. I got it out. Listen, this is critical, and this is so fundamental. It's so common for people who call themselves Christians to all their life pursue the ways and the things and the to, 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 to do's and the not to do's, but they, they do, they're doing the right things, but they're doing it in the wrong place because the knowing should always come and will always give birth to healthy doing. Let's get this right, Pope family. Don't go looking for the plan. Go looking for the planner. Don't become a better churchgoer. Become a better knower of Jesus. I'm so challenged by this. We've got we've to move past doing first. We've got to move into knowing first, and then the being comes, and then the doing comes after that. That is the biblical and the healthy process. Doing might sometimes prompt knowing. Like you can do the right thing. Sometimes that leads to more knowing, but knowing will always prompt doing every single time. So don't seek to become an expert doer today as you pursue Jesus. Seek to become an expert knower of him. J.I. Packer, it's a great book. I recommend it. He wrote a book called Knowing God. He says this, what were we made for? To know God. What aim should we set ourselves in life? To know God. What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? Knowledge of God. John 17, 3, he quotes, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He goes on, What is the best thing in life? Bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else. Knowledge of God. King James Version says in Jeremiah chapter 9, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. He asked another question. What of all the states God ever sees man in gives him most pleasure? He answers that. Knowledge of himself. Hosea said in Hosea 6, 6, I desire the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Once you have become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, J.I. Packer says this, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. Listen, we can bear witness to this. If you are a follower of Jesus, when you have put the knowing before the doing, you can bear witness that this is right and good. Last year was uniquely tough for all of us, but it was tough for me. I sat down on July the 7th, a day before I would go under the knife in my surgery, my battle with cancer, thyroid cancer. And I posted a post on Facebook. I went back because all this reminded me of what I personally was walking through last year and continue to in many ways. And I wrote this in July 7th, 2020 on Facebook. And you know me, I only post like once or twice or three times a year on Facebook. I'm not, a, not, not posting that much. But I felt prompted by God to say this. Just over two weeks ago, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. This time tomorrow, it's just, it's just real to me. It's very personal, so work with me. 
Should have had somebody else read this. I'm still growing in this. All this I've preached, but I'm preaching to myself here. This time tomorrow, I'll be under the knife in surgery to have it removed. Surreal, yes. Get through it because it's so important for relief. Scary, no. It has been said in the Bible that perfect love casts out fear. Blake, you said that today. It is true. You may not understand it, but it is true. Perfect love is found in Jesus alone. And in Jesus right now, I find rest. Really? Genuinely? Completely? It's not as much that Jesus calms a storm. It's the transforming truth that he is the calm in any storm. And this is not an invitation to pray for me, although I welcome it, I said. This is an invitation to know Jesus. Here's what I've come to know. Knowing Jesus changes everything. Moment, moment of transparency. I genuinely, I wrote this. I'm not saying this today. I'm, I said this many months ago. Moment of transparency. I genuinely don't care if you like my page or follow me on Facebook. I really don't. But I care deeply that you experience the perfect love of Jesus and that you follow him. Why? Jesus changes everything. So what are you, whatever you are facing today, Jesus is greater. He is more. He is here. And ask the question, would you trust him today? And I would ask you that question today. If you don't trust Jesus, would you begin that today? Would you trust him? The band's going to come. We're going to have a closing song just to respond. And I don't know what God's doing in your heart. But all of that I said to link to a song that that day meant so much to me. And it's a song called Knowing You by a man named Graham Kendrick. And if you want to go to YouTube, search a great newer rendition of it. It's by Shane and Shane, whom I love. They're awesome. Uh, Search Knowing You, Shane and Shane. But it says this. Here's the words of that song. All I once held dear, built my life upon. All this world reveres and wars, wars to own. All I once thought gain, I've counted loss, spent and worthless now compared to this. And here is the chorus. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness. And I love you, Lord. It goes on second verse. Now my heart's desire is to know you more, to be found in you and known as yours, to possess by faith what I could not earn, all-surpassing gift of righteousness. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. You're my joy. You're my righteousness. And I love you, Lord. Listen, we are created, recreated to grow. And God's given us everything that we need to do so. But it's found in the know. The pursuing, the constant pursuing, not of things or what he might give. It's of him who is with us, among us, walking with us. Pursue him today. Pursue the Father through Jesus Christ. He's the only gateway. He's the only path to a relationship with God and to all things that pertain to life and godliness, as Peter says here in 2 Peter. So here's the truth. To the degree that we know Jesus, to that degree, we have grace and peace. 
You need peace today in your life. Don't pursue more things. Not even the things that are the right things. Don't miss the pursuing of Jesus. Because he's not an addition to our life. He'll never be. He is our life. He is life.